0: The following sermon is by Dr. Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Josh. Well, we know through our experience that life is full of waiting. There are all sorts of things we need to wait for in life. We wait for trivial things, maybe in our recreation or hobby category. My family has been waiting for the Lions to merely make the Super Bowl for generations. We wait for things that are necessary nuisances. If you've ever been to the DMV and you're in line for four to five hours, only to find out you need your grandmother's birth certificate and you have to come back tomorrow, we know what that is like as well. We wait for important things on a daily level, so we become used to waiting We look forward to food, we get hungry, we get hangry if we don't have it in time. We look forward to momentous things, we actually put them on the calendar and keep track of their progress. If someone's getting married, we save the date for having a child, we download the app and track the growth until the day comes. If we're looking forward to graduation, perhaps we mark off the days. When we wait for something, it is difficult unless there is hope that it'll come to be. And if it does come to be, and if it's something of great importance, there is immense joy. A memory that I think will stick with me for many years was a a moment at our church in Michigan. God had blessed because our church, frankly, had had decades of great difficulty. And I remember very well this Sunday, an older, very godly man who's family had been at this church since it was first founded so generations since came to me with tears coming down his eyes and he said pastor I have just prayed for so long that God would make our church healthy and that it would have a future and now I believe we're here and he had been the man who had served in every role in every committee in every capacity and he was now ready because he thought there was a future for the place that he had called home The Bible says in Proverbs that desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. And perhaps my favorite word as a conjunction in the Bible is the word now. I love when God says now. So here in today's text, we're going to look at a sermon titled, When the Moment Arrives. And we're going to look in Luke 2. Not the passage that was read, but the passage that follows it. If you're using the Bible in front of you, take it out of the pew and turn to page 1019. It'll be very helpful for you to have the Bible open because we'll we'll read through this passage this morning. So page 1019, if you're using a pew Bible, Luke 2, if you have a copy of God's Word with you. And we'll look at the joy of when the moment arrives. Three simple points to walk through this morning. The moment of salvation arrives... The arrival of salvation divides, but the arrival of salvation delights for those who receive it. So first, the moment of salvation arrives, and here we pick up in Luke 2, verse 22. Luke 2, verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem, and the hymn is Baby Jesus. Jesus. To present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. These verses have a lot of background that could be unfamiliar to us, so I'll just try to make it very simple. You see, law of the Lord twice, law of Moses a third time. Everything that's happening in, this, in these verses are people devoutly complying in faith to God's revealed word, particularly in the old covenant, the law given through Moses. The details are this. The firstborn, ever since the Passover, has belonged to God. In Exodus 13, God says, The firstborn is mine, and this is the timing of when he delivers Israel out of slavery in Egypt because they had faith in a Passover lamb. And now is a way to remember That God has passed over their sin as they put faith in an innocent substitute in their own place. God reminds them to make an offering for the firstborn so that they live by faith that they need a lamb to come permanently. They need a son who will perfectly take away all of their sin. So Mary and Joseph are following this. Mary, for her own ceremonial cleanness and for their family, have come To dedicate to the temple a reminder of faith in God's provision through the Passover lamb. But there's a detail in the text that's interesting, and that is the very end of verse 24. They brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Leviticus 12 tells us that this is only for those who cannot afford a lamb. So we find out that Mary and Joseph are extremely poor. The irony is thick. The parents of Jesus cannot afford a lamb, and yet they have one with them. Here they've brought to the temple God's lamb, but they can't even afford man's lamb. The text is showing us important things. God's son, the eternal word through whom all things were made, was not only born in a lowly manger. He was raised in an economically depressed home, an impoverished home were the basic things other people had, he did not have. But what he did have was he had parents who lived by faith, parents who devoutly trusted God, parents who led him in this path. This is a blessing. He's grown up in a home that's used to relying on God for grace. Now verse 25 introduces us to the primary character in this passage, the primary historical figure. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the rest of the verses are going to give us four descriptions of this man so that we know something about him and what God wants us to learn. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I want to unpack these four statements quickly. The first statement is that he was righteous and devout. He's a godly believer. He trusts the word of the Lord. The next statement, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the word consolation is very important. You only need to be consoled if you've experienced much grief. The idea is the world is weary and waiting for the Messiah, The world is longing for someone to make right everything that is wrong. And here's someone who's waiting in faith for that person. And we learn more about him. Not only is he waiting, even through grief in hope, he has the Holy Spirit upon him. In the Bible, before the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the residency and ministry of the Holy Spirit is a bit more mysterious. It appears that Simeon, has a prophetic gift based on what follows in this passage. Here's what we read at the end of verse 26. The fourth and final description of him is he was told that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I want you to just notice a couple of things about how good God is. God is so good that he sometimes gives personal encouragement to an individual believer, this is what he's done here. Remember, friends, God is not only working broadly and cosmically, he's also working personally and individually, and you can trust that he will work in you personally. Here he is personally caring to give gracious revelation to a devout believer by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps in your house like mine, we have an advent calendar, and you count down days. Simeon had... Revelation from God personally that he would see the Messiah generations before him and prayed, but he knew personally his life would not pass until he beheld the Lord's Christ. I want you to consider the fact that Simeon was probably waiting for a very long time, though. All the other clues in the text indicate that he was old, probably for decades. He's been waited, and that reminds me of an application I read from R.C. Sproul that I thought was helpful. Let me quote him. He said, I'm always glad when I see young people become zealous for the Christian faith and become filled with excitement about learning and studying and serving in this capacity or that in the life of the church. But I'm also very aware of the fact that the youthful exuberance of new Christians often dissipates as they confront a resisting world, a hostile environment, The obstacles and the difficulties that the young Christian encounters in his daily life have a tendency to cool or temper his spirit. What really speaks to me, Sproul concludes, is the old saint, the one who has kept the faith and fought the good fight, who's endured decade after decade. Simeon reminds us of a believer who's trusted in the Lord for a long time, And waited in hope. Let me remind you of this this morning. It is good to wait on the Lord no matter how long the wait. And God's intention in the timing is for our good as well. I want to encourage you this morning. Do not lose heart in the promises of God that you're waiting on. He'll renew your strength. And he will bring to pass all that he has promised. So now verse 27, and Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. This is is awesome. This is a man who's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads his life, and he comes to the temple at the exact moment when the Messiah arrives there as a baby. So he comes in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. God has perfectly aligned these events to fulfill his word. I just want to remind you too that the Holy Spirit still leads people to Jesus. This is what he does to Simeon and that might be, friend, why you're here this morning. Perhaps this morning he's leading you to Jesus even now. Open your eyes to what he might be showing you. Verse 28, Simeon took up Jesus in his arms. At this moment, Jesus is about 41 days old, so about a month and a half old baby. And Simeon blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Perhaps you've heard The Latin song, the nuke dimittis, is based on the first two words of Simeon's praise in the Latin Vulgate. It means now depart. Here he's indicating that he is holding the Messiah, the promised, and he's ready to die in peace. And then he says this with confidence while he's holding Jesus as a newborn baby, less than two months old. This teaches us, A willingness to receive God's son and a readiness to trust God's word. This morning I encourage that to you as well. A willingness to receive God's son and a readiness to trust God's word. He's holding him as a baby and that's enough. It's as if Simeon is saying, Lord, I don't need to see him grow up. I don't need to see him stump doctors at 12 years old in the temple. I don't need to see him walk on water. I don't need to see him feed thousands with a few loaves. I don't need to see him crucified in my place and rising victorious over death and sin and the devil. I trust your word. You fulfilled it. I can die in peace. One glimpse, and Simeon's ready to go home. As Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. We have the record of the word of God. Are you ready to receive Jesus through the eyes of faith? Now, Simeon says something that, if we're honest, is really not common in our culture. He says in verse 29, he's ready to depart to die in peace. I know it's a heavy thing to talk about, but in our culture, we don't normally talk about approaching death personally with that kind of confidence, Samuel Johnson in his famous biography recounts how a Miss Seward told him that death was only a pleasing sleep without a dream. And Johnson vehemently opposed snorting that it was neither pleasing nor sleep. Dylan Thompson tells us to rage and rage against the dying of the light. In our culture, we might pretend to be unfazed by the thought of our own personal death and yet there's a haunting disturbing refusal of a reality that cannot be ignored. So I ask you a direct question on Christmas Eve. Are you prepared to die? Are you ready to depart because you have peace? How can someone have that peace? If my life was to end, I have total confidence in what comes next. We're going to see that by the time he gets to verse 34, but let's continue now in verse 31. You've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, Simeon is a Jewish man in the temple of all places, and he rightly says this is for the glory of Israel, and yet he says it's a revelation to all. As the angels have said, this is good news of great joy to all. All the peoples consistently from Luke's beginning and all of the Gospels, we see that the Messianic hope in the Christ is for everyone. It's a global need. The glory of Israel is because the Messiah comes through the line of Abraham and through the line of David and through the line of Judah. But remember, he was promised first to Adam and Eve. He's a revelation to the whole world, even though he's a glory through the line of God's nation of Israel. Here, God's promised Messiah is good news for all. And number one was the moment of salvation arrives. But now number two is the arrival of salvation divides. In verse 33, we continue. And his father and his mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. They've heard Revelation from angels, but now they marvel to hear even more revelation from a stranger at a temple who knows so much about their son. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I just want you to notice those two options, the fall or a rising. This child is so significant that he is the dividing line of all who live. And there is no neutrality on him. Falling or rising. But did you catch rising and now do you see why Simeon can die in peace? Simeon now knows this child, his rising is my rising. His guaranteed victory is mine. I will share in all of the glory that he will accomplish. This is why he knows that he can depart in peace. But at the end of verse 35, if you see it in front of you, it says that the falling or the rising is just the revelation of our hearts. Therefore, the very coming of Jesus just reveals what we are and how we'll respond to him. The falling means that I've relied on my own strength. I've relied on my own accomplishments. I've put my trust in me to my everlasting fall. But the rising means I've relied on another who can elevate and lift me and succour me. And that another is Jesus. But what is it that this child would do that is the watershed of the fall or the rising? And look in verse 34. Remember, Simeon's talking to Mary directly and says this is a sign. It's a strong word, normally used to have miracles. It's a can't-miss thing that everybody would see. But not only is it a sign, it's a sign that is like a sword piercing through Mary's own soul. What sign would have been seen by all, can't miss it, and would be the piercing of Mary's soul? The cross. Many parents can relate to what he's saying. The spear, its blade, will be punctured through Jesus as he's laying crucified. And at that moment that the steel punctures Jesus' body in a similar way, Mary's spirit is punctured. Parents know what it's like to hurt with your child when they're hurting. At the same thing they're going through you're going through. And this thing that they're going through is the cross. So here's what that means. If you picture a waterfall and at the bottom of the waterfall is a rock and the rock moves towards a point. The bottom is Jesus and who he is and people divide over that but the tip of that the pinnacle of it is the cross the water divides at the cross it's the cross in particular that divides humanity see the cross is where we either rise through humble faith that says he has died in my place Or the cross is where we fall in stubborn pride and say, I don't need that and I don't understand that. In fact, do you remember when Jesus was literally on the cross, he was crucified between two people. On the one side, the person mocked him and laughed at him. You say you're the son of God, then come down. On the other side, the man's mockery moved to faith when he said, but this man is not like us. He doesn't deserve to be here. Oh, Lord, will you remember me when you go into paradise? The cross is always the dividing line. And this is what Simeon is telling Mary. The cross will be the dividing line for all people when it pierces your heart as well. So, friend, the moment of salvation has arrived. The arrival of salvation divides. But for all who come to Christ in humility and trust, Number three, the arrival of salvation delights. And now we meet a prophetess named Anna. So verse 36 in your Bible. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, the northern tribes that were lost. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then was a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here's Anna, an 84-year-old woman, the kind of woman who's at the temple worshiping so much it's as if she lives there. Every church is blessed to have such a woman. Her focus is on fasting and prayer in verse 37. It's a powerful ministry that God has given to her and that she works through. She's so excited at this prophetic announcement that she declares it with everyone she possibly can. Now, here's the thing that I scratch my head about with this. Um, Why these two? Why Simeon and Anna? Is this together on purpose? Why these two? Why did God providentially work it out that way that Simeon and Anna are the two figures that hear about and meet baby Jesus when he's presented at the temple? Here's my best guess. I think there are three reasons. I think the first reason is this one, because it goes all the way back to Genesis three, when Adam and Eve had sinned, God made a promise to man and woman, that He would send a special descendant who would crush the serpent and be a savior to all peoples. I think God providentially had Simeon and Anna to echo the garden, that He would save male and female who trust in him. I think there's a second reason, too. In the Old Testament. In order to have testimony validated, you need two witnesses. And I think Simeon and Anna are both there to indicate we have seen and beheld this is the child. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. I think there's likely a third reason. Luke told us in Luke chapter 1 that his gospel is based on eyewitness accounts that he recorded. And in the ancient Near East in the first century, a woman's testimony was valued less than a man's testimony. And Luke recording both Simeon and Anna serves to further show the historicity of his account. It wouldn't add realism in his era. He recorded it because it's what really happened. So here we have Simeon and Anna praising the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me give three applications for how we should respond in light of the birth of Jesus beheld by Simeon and Anna in the temple. How should we live? Number one, we should remember that God always fulfills his promises. And he fulfills all his promises in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God are yes and amen in him, in Jesus. Friend, God always fulfills his promises. And he fulfills all of them in his son Jesus. This week I've been reading a lot of Charles Spurgeon's Advent writings called The Incarnation of Christ. He was writing about when the angel told Joseph to make sure he would name this baby Jesus. And here's what Spurgeon commented. The name of Jesus has ever more since had this power. For to those who know its preciousness, it unveils a glory brighter than dreams have ever imaged. Under its wondrous spell, young men see visions, old men dream dreams, and these do not mock them as ordinary dreams do, but they are faithful and true prophecies of what shall surely come to pass. God always fulfills his promises, and he fulfills them all in Jesus. But number two, friend, and perhaps this is why the Spirit of God has brought you here this morning, every life hinges on how you respond to Jesus and yours does. You fall or you rise based on how you respond to Jesus. So I just want to be as clear as the text is. The wise man built his house upon the rock and when the storm of judgment came, he survived. But the foolish man who built his house on the sand, when the storm of judgment came, his house fell and great was the fall of it. This morning, it is so important that you humbly receive Jesus. To reject Jesus is to put yourself in a position of eternal falling. To rely on yourself will not survive the storm of final judgment. Put your hope on Christ, whose body was pierced for our transgressions, whose death on the cross was to rescue us from sin's consequences and whose defeat of the devil is our guarantee for eternal victory. Trust Jesus with your soul forevermore. But number three, Christian, we live in a world of waiting. And in this season of Advent, remember to wait well by hoping in Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew a lot about waiting. If you know anything about him, he was a christian and a lutheran pastor in germany during the rise of the third reich and hitler and he opposed nazism and he opposed hitler and he paid the ultimate cost for it he spent a lot of time in prison and this week i read some of his letters from prison on november 29th in 1943 he was in the tegel prison and here's what he wrote to his parents it's still not christmas but it's also still not the last Advent. The last coming of Christ. Through all the Advents of our life that we celebrate runs the longing for the final Advent when the word from Jesus will be, see, I am making all things new. We can and should also celebrate Christmas despite the ruins around us. I think of you, Mom and Dad, As you now sit together with the children and with all the Advent decorations as in earlier years you did with us. We must do this all even more intensely because we do not know how much longer we have. Two weeks later, December 13th, 1943, he wrote a letter to his fiancee, Maria. He was talking about all the difficulty he was enduring in prison and the world war which was impending around them. And here's what he wrote. And then, just when everything is bearing down on us to such an extent that we can scarcely withstand it, the Christmas message comes to tell us that all our ideas are wrong and that what we take to be evil and dark is really good and light because it ultimately comes from God. Our eyes are at fault, that is all. God is in the manger, wealth is coming through poverty. Light overcoming darkness and relief, even in abandonment. No evil can befall us. Whatever men may do to us, they cannot but serve the God who is secretly revealed as love and rules the world and our lives. So wait in hope for the final return of the coming king. Let's pray together this morning. God, I pray that you'd help us to wait upon the Lord and you promise to renew our strength so that we would mount and soar with wings as eagles. Sometimes it feels like we're waiting for a long, long time, but you never fail to keep your promises. We look forward to the moment that you say now. Simeon got to see up. He held Jesus and knew that the consolation had arrived. But his prophecy is one that causes all of us to realize we need to respond to Jesus now while it is still today. Lord, there's no question that the foolishness of the cross is the power of God to those who believe. To some it is a stumbling block. To some it is a It is folly, but to those who believe it is salvation. It is the watershed of humanity. Everything divides on this, how we respond to Jesus Christ who went to the cross to pay for our sin. Help someone today to be moved by the Holy Spirit to receive Jesus as their Savior and to know what it is, to have peace that does not pass even when our life in this world passes. God, I also pray, Lord, as believers, that you would grow mature patience that enables us to wait. We know, Lord, who holds tomorrow. And so may we live with supernatural and paradoxical peace, regardless of the circumstances around us. In Christ, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcraleigh.com. That's E-B-C-R-A-L-E-I-G-H dot com.